Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler. Talking money and investing, educating, letting you in on some of the investment industry secrets, because the more you understand this stuff, the less you're going to get taken advantage of. I had a lady I was talking to today, as a matter of fact, I listen all, <laughs> I listen all the time and I said, do you understand? No, I don't understand everything, but it's entertaining. <laughs> Number one, because <laughs> I like to joke around, I suppose, uh, you know, when it's appropriate, but also because, you know, it's just, you'll I'll pick up something, she said, and I appreciate that, probably even listening now. So uh, I just appreciate those comments because sometimes I wonder, am I going over the head? I'm going to try not to, because, but there is something really, really important I want to talk about right now. I got a, uh, a mailing and the mailing was to go to a steak dinner. And I don't eat steak or chicken. It's not because of, you know, animal rights or anything. It's just because I have really high, had really high cholesterol levels. And I had to get them down and I had to make sure I took care of myself. And that was one of the ways I was supposed to take care of myself is just get away from that kind of stuff. So uh, thanks for the steak dinner, folks, the financial planners that are trying to invite me out to their dinner, but uh, no thanks. But you have given me something really good for the radio show. Because, and, I, and I have to advise people, if you want to, don't take me off your mailing list if you're a financial planner trying to get me to go to your steak dinner. It's really bad for your business uh, for, for me to get your invitations because I'm going to pick on them. Uh but uh, it was, uh, hey, I was taught to do the same thing back in the day. I never did that, but I was taught, you know, they were taught, hey, do this. They taught us to go and get people into steak dinners, get them into restaurants, uh, college campuses, because you get the gravitas that comes with the college campus if you're teaching a class on the college campus. Yeah, it looks like you're actually endorsed by the college in some way if you're renting one of their rooms. So, you know, quite often that will happen. Or, you know, I, I don't know. There, there are other places, I suppose. I can't, you know, public libraries, that was another one. That was If you rent the public library, it makes it, it looks good. But um, anyway, so I got this thing and it said to, uh, it was talking about, oh, there we go. How... Or it was, will I outlive my money? That's the question, the number one question that retirees or those nearing retirement are asking. And that is very true. There are a lot of people that are worried about outliving their money. And when you go to the, one of these workshops in this particular one, they're going to talk about access to a source of income that's rarely considered. Uh, it could be possibly reverse mortgages. Maybe that's what they're talking about. Yeah, people don't typically think about that. I, I'm just guessing as what they might teach. Uh, pay dramatically less taxes in retirement, including no taxes on Social Security benefits. Of course, you can go and convert your IRAs to Roth IRAs 
pay a bunch of taxes now. It's not that you have avoided taxes. You've just shifted it to a different point in time. And sometimes it does make sense. A lot of times it may not necessarily make sense. It really, really depends on the situation. Uh, you can pay no taxes on Social Security. You can have no income. That, that'll that take care of that as well. <laughs> uh, protected against inflation. I'm going to take... Uh, exception to what they're saying as how to protect against inflation and uh, its annuities is really what they're, they're getting into in here and indexed annuities where you can participate in market returns. And I'm going to hit this in a little different way than I normally do, but I'm going to hit something that I think is really important is how to protect myself from outliving my money. And I'm going to talk about a workshop that I taught a little while back, a little while back. And I talked about, hey, this is one of the things that the government got right. And a lot of people like that particular title because does the government ever, ever get anything right? And yeah, the answer was yes. In this particular case, the way the rules are written to take income from IRAs, it can be very, very beneficially uh, beneficially done, uh, you know, the, the way of taking income if you follow these rules. And I'll talk about that in a second. And... Uh, a shrewd tactic to guarantee you'll never run out of money. Well, you know, that might be, I don't know, that could be just about anything. Annuities typically are the way to never run out of money because you actually put money in an annuity and it pays an income for your rest of your life and you can't run out of money. But there are problems that you don't necessarily pick up on when you use these products that I've talked about before, but I might talk about in a little different way than I normally get into it. So, one of the things that I was talking about was this workshop that I had done a while back. And the workshop was, did the government get it right? RMDs, required minimum distributions. Now, the idea behind your IRAs or your 401ks is you're putting money away right now. You're putting it into, let's say it's a pre-tax traditional IRA or 401k. And I'm saying, don't make me pay taxes right now. I don't want to pay taxes right now. Let me pay taxes sometime in the future when I'm not working anymore. And when I'm not working, I don't have my income level is much lower. So therefore, I have some income that I can earn and the tax rate on that is zero. And then I have some incomes taxed at 10%, have some income that's taxed at 12% and 22 and 24, and the tax rates go up as your income goes up. Well, a lot of times when somebody's working and they put money into a 401k, they can avoid that 22, 24%, up to 37% tax rate when they put the money in. So they go, I got $10,000. And I want to put it away. And if I put it away and I pay taxes on it, and if I'm in a 37% tax bracket, I've got $3,700 in taxes that I have to pay right now. And I'm only left with $6,300 to invest in something. Well, why don't I put the full $10,000 into the pre-tax 401k or IRA if you know your IRA limits are lower than that. But if I can do that, then I don't pay that tax right now. That money that would have been sent to the government in taxes can earn income for me or returns for me. Then I'll take it out in the future where I get to earn a lot of money. And if I'm married, finally, jointly, it's almost $30,000 where I pay no taxes on it. So I can earn income and I have no taxes on it whatsoever. Next 20000 approximately of income taxed at 10% and so on and so forth. And I look at that and go, wow, you know, that'd be kind of nice if I could avoid a higher rate right now and then take it at that lower rate, that's tax leverage. 
Good deal. Makes a lot of sense. Why pay taxes right now if I'm not using the money right now is the idea behind that. So hence, that's why pre-tax type of investment vehicles have always been so popular. Now, if we think about that and now we go and say, okay, so what happens if I go Roth IRA? I'll be paying taxes now and I may be avoiding lower tax rates in the future. And that's why Roth IRAs don't always make sense for people. Now, with the required minimum distribution, let me come back to that because the required minimum distribution does not apply to Roth IRAs, but it does apply to pre-tax IRAs. So how does it work? Well, what it does is it takes a look at what your age is and you know, required minimum distributions, the rules have been changed where if you're not already taking them, you weren't already taking them when the rules changed, then what happens is you may be subject to a couple different ages that you have to start taking these distributions. And one of the ages is age 73. And then for people born a little bit later, goes after the, after the 1960s, it's 75, okay? So what happens is you'll have this situation where you don't have to take it, but what is the formula based on? The formula is based on if, if you were age 73, they're imagining that you're married to somebody age 63, 10 years your junior. So therefore, if you take two people, one 63 and one 73, their joint life expectancy would be longer than someone who is just age 73 because you got the younger person there. So what happens is that reduces the amount of money that has to come out. It reduces the percentage. So the way it works is you take the dollar figure in the IRA divided by the life expectancy. And if that number is, let's just use 25 because it's a nice, easy number to deal with. If I've got 100,000 and I divide it by 25, that equals four. That's your percentage that has to come out of your account value. Then every year you get older, your life expectancy goes down some, but not completely because what happens is like when you're born, let's say that your life expectancy is 76 years old. Let's say that that's what it is. Well, when you reach age 76, your life expectancy isn't zero years. You've been through a lot of the junk that takes people out, like infant mortality or crazy stuff that kids do or, or teenagers do or crazy things that happen, you know, little dread diseases that come along that take, take people out in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and heart disease and those types of things, cancer and diabetes and all of those types of things. So what happens, you made it to age 76. Therefore, you've sidestepped a lot of those time bombs from zero to age 76. So therefore, you still have life expectancy, okay? So what happens is they have a life expectancy for you at that particular age, and they will divide your account value by that life expectancy, imagining you're married to somebody, even if you're not married. Imagining you're married to somebody 10 years younger than you. So... What happens is that I can take this income and it's a percentage of the account value and 
I don't worry about running out of money. Why? Because I'm always taking a percentage of whatever is there. And because I'm taking a percentage of whatever is in the account and I'm not taking it, running it down, there's, you don't run out of money in that particular instance. Now, you got to be really careful though, what you're investing in, because you may not run out of money, but you sure may run out of purchasing power. And what I mean by that is that let's say you're taking money out of, let's say, an annuity. And that annuity, the way annuity works, it's going to look at life expectancy. And in general, I'll just talk in general and immediate annuity. Let's say I'm going to oversimplify because that's the way I like to do this so it doesn't become too complicated. But let's say I have a person with a life expectancy of exactly 10 years and their joint life expectancy, if they do it jointly, is 10 years, whatever. Let's just use 10 years. And you hand them a $100,000 and my, you hand the insurance company that amount of money and you say, hey, here's $100,000. What's my life expectancy? They're not going to tell you, but they're going to have actuaries that figure it out. And they say it's 10 years. So what we're going to do is let's say that the interest rate is non-existent, you know, just to keep this really, really simple. And let's say the insurance company has absolutely no expenses whatsoever. So what are they going to do? They're going to pay $10,000 per year in my example. And then at the end of the 10 years, the money would have been gone had you done this trick on your own. Now, if you live beyond the 10 year period, they're going to have to continue making payments to you because that's it's an insurance company. They're taking the risk that you live longer than your life expectancy. If you only live two years, they've only paid you 20,000. You gave them 100,000. You lose. Your heirs lose. The money's gone. That's the way an annuity. That's the. That's just a really simplified way of understanding this idea of how an annuity is designed to work. And by the way, because you could lose, you could end up having payments only for a few years and die, and the money's gone, and your heirs don't get anything. Especially as people get older, their desire to leave something to their heirs tends to increase and they don't necessarily like that idea. That's why almost nobody ever annuitizes these contracts. But I'm using that as an example because that's what they're marketing at these workshops as annuities. And they're saying, hey, guaranteed, you can't ever run out of money. You can't ever, you know, so that's how you get that guarantee. You can't ever run out of money is by doing that. Now, what happens is with the required minimum distribution, is that it is based on a percentage of the account value. Now, with an annuity, let's say, and I use the example from, there was a, this website, I've talked to this guy before, he runs this, this uh, immediate annuities website, and he, you can get kind of quotes on these types of things, so I, I like it. You can, I can use it as an illustration all the time. But let's say that I had $300,000 and 200,000 I was I just had in my IRA in regular investments and the other $100,000 I had in an annuity and I was going to use an immediate annuity. Now, the way the required minimum distribution works is they're going to take a percentage of the account value. So if you have a 25-year life expectancy, account value divided by 25 is 4%. Then let's say that it uh, your life expectancy 
you know, drops down to 20 years. Then it's going to be a count value. Let's say it's 100,000 divided by 20, and that's five. So that's 5%. So as you get older and your joint life expectancy of the 73-year-old married to the 63-year-old is declining because now they're 83 and 73 or 94 and 84, so on and so forth, as that life expectancy goes down, the percentage goes up. But you're getting older and you don't have as much time left, so you're taking a higher percentage of the portfolio. And I'm going to get into how those numbers work out based on that workshop that I taught because it's really cool. When you look at it and go, oh, man, the biggest thing that I worry about and here are the numbers behind it, then you start to feel a little bit less concerned about this type of thing. But let's say that I had the 200000 in the regular account, 100000 in the annuity, and I annuitize it, let's say. Well, the annuitization of that contract helps me meet that RMD. It's not included in my required minimum distribution calculation. The 200000 is considered, and then they'd make me take out 4% or 5% or whatever from that. The, that 100000 is based on life expectancy, and then it meets it so I don't have to count it in the required minimum distribution. Now, that may sound good, and annuities are often the example of something you can use to not run out of money because they're basically taking the life expectancy, uh, that risk on themselves as the insurance company that if you live too long that they're going to have to continue to make payments to you. Now, if you go to this website of this one that uh, on immediate annuities, this guy actually gives... The, an example, he says, if you transfer $100,000 to an IRA annuity at age 72, you may re receive $7,250 a year or 7.25% of your premium and annual income. So you got $7,200 approximately. And remember I said, when you first start taking an, a required minimum distribution, they're going to look at you and imagine you're married to somebody 10 years younger. So therefore, it'll be just under 4%. So if I have 7.2%, what does that mean? That means that they're forcing more out of the account than an RMD would have required. Now, the government loves that because they get their tax money earlier. But you may not love it because you may be ending up paying taxes in a higher rate than you would have, number one. You're getting more income, but the problem is you're paying taxes at a higher rate. And what happens, this is really important to understand about our tax system. If you look at the way the brackets are set up, the tax brackets, your first income is taxed at zero. Remember, it's like about 30000 right? Just under $30,000 of income married finally jointly that you don't have to pay any taxes on. And the next 20 is 10%. Well, if we look at that and we say, okay, so what happens to those tax brackets? Well, as time goes on and inflation erodes the purchasing power of the dollar, those tax brackets go up or the incomes go up and then you're taxed at lower rates for higher and higher amounts of money. An example to help you understand this is that let's say if I'm looking back in the 1970s and I was making like $7,000, $10,000, I was pretty normal for a family making that level of income. 
Now, do you think not only could I earn $7,000 or a normal family income, but even another $20,000 above that, that I would be taxed at 0% in the 1970s? No, that doesn't even make sense. We all paid taxes in the 70s, right? Everybody, parents, well, so, you know, my, I didn't, I wasn't working a normal job. I was cutting grass back in those days. But my parents were making normal incomes and paying taxes just like everybody else. They weren't exempt from them. So why are we exempt from taxes for so much more income now? Because the purchasing power of the dollar has gone down by that much. <laughs> by that much? I mean, you think about it. I couldn't possibly live on $7,000 now. What are the implications of this? Well, the implications are that if I'm earning $7,250, which is what this annuity, $7,250, right now, in 20 years, if I have a 4% inflation rate, the purchasing power is only $3,200. Well, so maybe because of the way tax brackets are indexed, my income taxes will be less. But the problem is, that tells you something else. If the income tax brackets are, are that low in the future, that must mean the government feels sorry for us because they're not even willing to tax us on it anymore because we must be poverty level. It's just another way of looking at this. I mean, it's kind of a funny way of looking at it. It's not that funny. But that's the problem with these annuities is that you go and annuitize it and then you get the same level of income forever. And that income level may be fine right now, but in the future, it's just not going to be there for purchasing power purposes. And the problem is that we've gone broke safely is in essence what we've done here. Now, the other thing is that, you know, they'll have indexed annuities and, and they talk about that. And I, there was a really good article. One of the fund companies out there had an article on this. And they were talking about the elements of indexed annuities that people just don't really understand. And it says they often misunderstand the calculation of the investment return credited to your account. Now I have, and I'll tell you where to find this because you know I have lots of things that I I look at with you know with a lot of these big fund companies, whether it be Vanguard or Fidelity or whatever. This is Fidelity's website, but. This In this particular article, I think they did a really good job of explaining the problems here. And they said that, you know, one of the elements of the fixed, in, fixed annuities is that is under, misunderstood is the calculation of the investment return and how the insurance company calculates the return and how much of the index return is credited to you. This is the key problem is how they actually credit these returns. Now, number one, they have lots of ways that they actually limit this so that you don't get a lot of the returns that the market delivers. And they tell you, oh, you can, you can, you know, you can actually get benefit and, and protect yourself from inflation, all that stuff, which is not necessarily the whole story because of the problems with the crediting of returns. Number one is the cap. And the cap is the upper limit, as they explain here, over a certain period. For example, if the index, let's say the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, the Europe, Australia, Far East, or whatever index is being tracked, an index is just a segment of the market. The S&P 500 is just the 500 biggest companies. And the growth in those companies, it's capitalization weighted, so it's mainly dependent on the very biggest companies in the index. But it's those different areas. 
Now, if the index returns 10%, but the annuity has a cap of 3%, which is not unusual to see, your account receives the maximum return of 3%. And said that many indexes do that. And here's the one thing they didn't put here, but let's say that the market goes down, they can take away all of the up return. So if the market goes up 10 in one month, you know, so you get 3% of it, but it goes down 4% the next month. Now you would have had a positive return, up 10, down four, you still have a positive return if you own the market. But in this product, if it goes up, you get three. If it goes down four, they take away the three. They won't make you go below zero, but that's what happened. You lost all your return, even when the market did what it did. And a lot of people don't recognize that that's what happens. Participation rate is another thing. Uh, this is where the market goes up 8% and your participation rate is 80%, is the example they use here. Well, 80% of 8% is 6.4% return. That's the return you get. Sorry, sorry, Charlie, that's what you get. 6.4%. Now, that's forgetting about the dividends, which I'll get to in a second, because that makes it even worse. Then they got the spread, margin, and asset fee. You know, So they'll have, if they have a spread fee of a couple percent, um, they, they take away return there. But most of the time, a lot of times, I, I don't see where they show visible expenses in these products. Uh, so I'll go to the next one. Bonus. They give you a bonus. Hey, if you put money with us, we'll give you a bonus if you'll put money. Well, where's that money come from? They're not running a charity where they're bonusing you and increasing your account value. It's coming from somewhere, and it's coming from you. I won't get into that because it's too complicated right now. But just recognize, anytime they're telling you that there's some kind of a free lunch for buying their product, there's no such thing as a free lunch. In addition, one often overlooked point they say here is that for the purposes of the insurance company calculation, an index return excludes dividends. And people do not recognize what a big deal that this actually can be. They use an example here. For example, over the past 20 years, ending December 2021, so this article is written some, somewhere in 2022, I guess, the S&P 500 has gained 7.8% annually without dividends and 9.52 with dividends. So I just did a calculation. If I put $100,000, that's $100,000 growing over that 20-year period, to $616,000 with the market, but only four fifteen dollars if you excluded the dividends. That's $200,000, $200,000 on a $100,000 investment. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. 
Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.